0: in this podcast we discuss chronic illness injury medical procedures bodily functions mental health trauma grief crime scenes violence and dead bodies and we cuss a lot if any of these things concern you don't worry they concern us too but we can't opt out discretion is advised hello welcome to the invisibles podcast i'm chris and i'm rebel And we talk about true crime and how it affects the disabled and chronically ill community. And we're salty about it, very. Hi, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) It's not like we've known one another for 10 plus years. How many years? I don't know how many years anymore. I've uh, lost count of my own lifespan. 2007. God, I've, I've known you longer than I was married. I met you right after you got married. This is true. This is true. I'm excited to tell you this story today. I'm excited to hear it. It started out, it was a famous case of what I believed to be elder abuse and prolonged illness that was perhaps exacerbated by staff and other people around this person. And as I began researching it, I realized it was a whole can of worms and crazy worms at that. So we're all up in this weird can of worms. And uh, I found out so many things. And one of the things I really liked about researching this is that I kept reading and hearing sentences I've never heard before. And I was reminded of that uh, famous George Carlin sketch where he's talking about how there are some phrases that have never been said before. Like, I'm going to take this hot <laughs> poker and shove it right up my ass. Sure.
1: And you're edit that out. say
0: all the things. <laughs> <laughs> you just wait. Edit that out. <laughs> Don't edit it out. It's too good. It's just me. It's
1: true. Editing.
0: It's just you editing that's going to be a job on this one. Yeah, I' <laughs> at least we're doing this in two parts, two parts, possibly three. I don't know how long it'll get, but we'll I have see. let's just let yeah, I'll just tell you what it is. We're just going to be talking about the death of Doris Duke, very famous lady. Uh, and I have several titles for this because as <laughs> No, seriously, as I was yeah. researching it, I realized, wow, okay, so you want to hear my titles? These are hilarious. Give them to me. So my working title was The bat Shit Life and Death of Doris Duke. <laughs> but then by about halfway through, I wrote That's down... That's part one. <laughs> halfway through, I was like... So I wrote down Doris Duke, living legend or heinous rich person getting away with it. Sure. Uh-huh. And then the third and final title was The Butler Did It at Falcon's Lair with the morphine. If we have three parts, we can just title it. Just title them that? That works. So yeah. the reason I, I went into such detail with her was because... Let's just say that what began as the crime in question, so much of it had to do with her state of mind and her sure. as a person and what people said about her as a person. So I really felt like I had to go back and figure out who she was before I could discuss how she died. So that's right. how we got into that can of worms, that lovely rabbit hole of strangeness. The hey Rebel,
1: research this medical condition. Okay, now research this one. Well, yeah, I just kept finding things. I mean, you can't blame me. Once I know, to be clear to our audience, Chris knows the story. I'm providing the medical facts about the case. She sends me a list of pathologies and different issues that each person in each case has. And then a very brief description of how those manifest in said person and then i go down a complete
0: spiral of different things and that is
1: that's my role here
0: and it's because i have a head for details and rebel has a head for understanding complex medical issues <laughs> i mean i have that head too but it's a head i like to keep tucked in my
1: sweater So you have two heads we're gonna need to get I have that <laughs> on a patreon episode one body
0: though chris has two heads two heads cool. one body two heads all right you um, ready for this I pray I am. I don't know. All right. We're going back in time. We're going back History way, way
1: back. It's just... You. Yes. That was Hamilton. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> well done. Well Thank done. You. you know Hamilton? God. I do. Okay. So we're going to the end of the Civil War. Just after the end of the Civil War. So Hamilton was a good reference. I mean, it's about 100 some odd years off. But yeah, you're good. You're You're good.
1: Okay, fine.
0: So... Doris's grandfather, Washington Duke, created a cartel with some other local tobacco farmers after the Civil War ended, and basically became the leader of a monopoly on tobacco trade.
1: That is not where I thought this was going, but okay. So,
0: (laughs) I know. Well, wait till I get into it. So, after he died in 1890, his son James Buchanan Buck Duke—that's a name. Yeah, that's a name. There's a lot of names in this story that are, yeah, names. So Buck founded the American Tobacco Company, which is how he made his fortune. They make the famous Lucky Strike cigarette. If you are a smoker, you probably know that cigarette. And uh, they made tens and tens of millions of dollars back during the late 1800s and early 1900s. Lots of millions. Just to give you an idea of how many millions they had to throw around, Buck donated $40 million to Trinity College, which got real happy and changed its (laughs) name to Duke University.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, just to give you an idea.
1: That took another turn and
0: we're like less than five minutes into this thing. So just to give you an idea of how much $40 million in Civil War dollars is... (laughs)
1: That's right. This is Civil War times. That's a fuck ton of money. Yeah. I don't know the exchange rate. I'm not going to go down that path.
0: It's a lot. It's $650 million in purchasing power today. Cheese and rice. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, because he was such a great donor, he's actually buried at Duke University in their chapel. They made a little plot for his family because he gave him a lot of money.
1: Because when a school names its school after you, you have to bury
0: the person. I'm pretty sure that's a rule. I want to be buried at a school. No, I don't. Never mind. Mm -mm. Yeah. (laughs) There's no telling what the frat boys would do. I don't know. Duke University is not exactly known for its great frat boys. (laughs) Yeah. We're not going to do that. First of all, we're still alive. (laughs)
1: and secondly we're not gonna do that
0: i'm getting cremated yeah no me too turn me into a diamond that sounds great i want to be a diamond let's do that shine bright like a diamond shine bright like a diamond you got it where we this is where i live this is what (laughs) we're doing so because of his attempts to run his monopoly he he tried to move it into the uk market But he was repeatedly sued by his business partners, by shareholders, and a lot of other companies, which in turn made him very concerned about trust. And in 1911, the Supreme Court broke up his monopoly. But it was okay, because at that point, he and his brother had already branched out into textiles and water power companies, which was something a lot of guys back in those days did. So now we're to where Doris was born. She was born the following year, so 1912, on November 22nd, 1912 to Buck and his wife, Nanaline Holt Inman.
1: Nanaline?
0: Nanaline Holt Inman, because that's also a name. (laughs) (laughs) We've got names for days, people. (laughs) Names for days. Yes. Buck Duke uh, got sick in 1925, and on his deathbed, he called his then 12-year-old daughter to him, and he told her famously, trust no one. Yeah, trust no one. That's a great life lesson, Dad. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, I'm 12. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, I'm 12. But great, trust no one. And that kind of became her mantra. She lived and died by that. It stuck with her for the rest of her life. He died in October, and I feel like October is kind of a cursed month for Doris, and you'll see what I mean later, but uh, a lot of things happen in October for her. And on his death, Doris inherited, are you ready for this? (laughs) She inherited $80 million. (laughs) In what year? please and thank you <laughs> in 1925 <laughs> and what it is, is that
1: in american 2021 dollars it's a hell of a lot it's it's about I a love billion that i said american 2021
0: dollars yeah this like is
1: wasn't american money back then
0: the exchange rate on this is a lot. So she inherited the $80 million while her mom only got a modest trust fund of $4 million. And this kind of drove um, a wedge between them. Oh, did it? I yeah, wonder yeah. why. No, get this. At 14, she sued her own mother to prevent Nanoline from selling off Duke family assets. Once again, <laughs> cheese and rice.
1: I know I say that a lot. I don't know why I'm not saying the real thing, but...
0: Let's just go there. Let's go there. Let's go there. (laughs) Normally, we're pretty serious when we talk about this kind of stuff, but this is just... uh, She had a life, and it was very excessive. Wait, to clarify
1: for my own brain,
0: her Mm -hmm. mother sued her 14-year-old daughter or the other way around? No, the other way around. She sued her mother because Nanoline was selling off properties and belongings that were you know pretty important and so she wanted to prevent that from happening
1: so basically selling
0: off her inheritance exactly so she sued her mother at 14 to keep control of the estate And for most of her life as a young adult, she was basically a debutante and a socialite with a shit ton of assets.
1: Kind of like Paris Hilton?
0: Yeah, and she didn't go to college because her mother told her that wasn't what ladies did, and she was kind of angry about that, so her way of getting back at her mom was basically just to lord it over her financially for the rest of her life. She'd eventually come to own five different residences, which were giant, massive estates, and... This was a woman who basically just did whatever the fuck she wanted. She lived primarily in Hawaii. She had an estate there. And uh, she studied under Duke Kahanamoku. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a very, very famous surfer. I used to live right by
1: Miramar, which is like a huge surfing competition. Did
0: he die? He died saving. He actually swam out. And I know this case too, funny enough. He swam out to save some people. And they had, I, I think they were, their boat had gotten stranded. And he thought he could save them, so he swam out to save them. And I think he saved one of them. I can't remember, but then he went back and and he was lost at that point. So because of the area that I lived in, I
1: recognize surf names.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he was one of the first people Mm -hmm. to really popularize surfing and to actually take non-native students. So she was one of those first students. And so when she was a kid, she was out surfing as a female surfer. So she hobnobbed with a lot of celebrities and royalty. She actually went to Buckingham Palace a sure. few times and hung out with the queen. You know how that I is. I do
1: that every day.
0: Having tea with the queen. Man, I don't know how I would have felt having I mean, tea with the queen personally. Th- Pinkies she out, bitch. Pinky's out. She just wouldn't let us in. It's fine. <laughs> so get this. Doris was uh, six foot tall and she was a glamour queen. That's how she was described. Six foot tall glamour queen. With lots of money.
1: See, I feel like Doris was doing all of these things that celebrities get like a mix of, what do you call it, adulation? Is that the word? You know, people love to put them on a pedestal, but then they also
0: love to be like, well, you're too privileged to have feelings about whatever. Yeah, it's true. I think there's a double standard. They want the celebrity to be perfect all the time. And if they're not perfect, they can say, see, this person who has all these things and does all these things isn't perfect either. So it makes them feel better about their own life. So she studied and danced with famous jazz musicians. She wrote professionally. She donated tons of money to the arts and basically got away with some pretty heinous shit. and May have been a murderer. I'm sure we'll (laughs) get into it. (laughs) You'll see what I mean. Like I said before, I wouldn't normally go into this amount of detail, but the truth is we have to talk about what kind of person she was and her habits if we want to try and piece together her last days and come to some sort of conclusion about how sure. she died. Now we're going to get we're gonna get into her adult life, this uh, woman who at the age of 12 inherited 80 million dollars. dollars, a lot of them. So in, in 1935, she married James Cromwell, a man who was much older than her, and he was I'm a politician. Right? Yeah. No. Well, you know, marrying in and stuff. Ah, uh, gotcha. Families. Her own mother, Nanaline, she came from a famous wealthy family as well, and we'll talk about that a little and bit then she later. She
1: only got like a stipend. 4 million dollars versus 850
0: mm. million. It's a pittance compared to <laughs> 6 who cares? 650, yeah. It was in the hundreds <laughs> of millions. So she was trying to help her husband in his political aspirations, but she really couldn't campaign for him because the press would only focus on her, which, you know, I get it. She's a six foot tall glamour queen with lots of money. Just to give you an idea of how rich these people were, they went on a whirlwind two year world tour for their honeymoon. Was
1: their honeymoon? And then, uh, I've never had a honeymoon, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they just what went around the, the world standard, standard for, is, for two years.
0: But... I'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> it ain't two years traveling around the world. <laughs> <laughs> I say while drinking my glass of cheap wine. I'm drinking water. <laughs> Everyone, stay hydrated. Take Good your meds. You. Stay hydrated. So they settled in Hawaii and they built this massive estate that they called Shangri-La, named for the famous mythical sure, place where no one that's ages. Not problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. you know, spoiler. It doesn't work. Um, If you could see my face (laughs) Um, right now. So she spent time decorating it and filling it with Islamic antiquities. Why? Um, She just really liked the aesthetic. And now it's actually a museum for Islamic antiquities, which is kind of cool. You can go to her house in Hawaii and check it out if you want. Did her parents live in Hawaii or did she just choose Hawaii? She chose Hawaii. She really liked it. She actually spent a lot of her life there. Okay. So her husband, James, was made the ambassador to Canada, and she decided to just plain move to Hawaii full time. And the press followed her. They were preoccupied with the scandals of her life. She supposedly had lots of lovers and different things. When she finally did become pregnant with her only child, Arden, they even speculated that she wasn't James's child. Wow. Which yeah. is sad, but. And it gets even worse because Arden was born prematurely and died 24 hours later.
1: No, my preemie
0: mama heart cannot take that. That devastated Doris, and she was told basically at the same time that she could never have any other children. This was right around the time that spiritualism was kind of... It had been big when she was a kid, but it was starting to fall out of favor, but she still really believed in spiritualism. She consulted a lot of psychics and mediums to try and contact Arden, and this this kind of begun her lifelong interest in... New Age kind of ideology. Sure. She
1: was ahead of her times in so many ways.
0: Oh, yeah. No, it just wait. It gets even better. So she and James got divorced in 1943. So they were married a little while. And by all accounts, they didn't really spend that much time together. He was off doing his politics and... He had some designs on offices besides ambassadorships. He wanted to run for more offices. And she just kept to herself on their estate. They got divorced in 1943, and she went back to her solo life, you know, gallivanting around the world like rich people do. More teas with the queen. Uh, Yeah, no, and I think this was how her writing career took off, because in 1945, she... Began being a foreign correspondent for the international news service reporting from bombed out cities in World War II. I guess because she had the money to go to those places and enough clout. So after the war, she moved to Paris where she began writing for Harper's Bazaar, which is kind of a big deal. And this is where she met hubby number two. And get this guy's name. His name was Porfirio Rubirosa. Sure. Where does she meet these people with all these? She's got, there's some names, I'm telling you. So he was known as Ruby. Ruby. And uh, he was also known for being good in the sack. (laughs) Sure. He was a playboy. And he was also known for being a diplomat to the Dominican Republic. Naturally. (laughs) He was a big to-do, I guess. And so it's rumored, actually, that they had sort of a torrid affair. Because he was married at the time. And uh, she had only just gotten divorced, which in those days was a no-no. But she had lots of money, so whatever. Doris did not feel shame. Uh, Whoa. That's... Um, what do we call it here? Boss babe energy? Is it big boobs energy? I know that there's big dick energy, but like, I don't know. It's (laughs) six foot drama queen, six foot, uh, six foot glamour queen energy. There you go. Energy, but tall woman. Glamazon. So because her wealth was so great and her fiance was from the Dominican Republic, the U.S. government itself wrote her prenuptial agreement. Reportedly, when the government document that he had to sign for the prenup, he almost passed out because he finally realized how much money Doris had.
1: <laughs> so you're telling me
0: the United States
1: government wrote her prenup? Yes,
0: yeah, I mean she had so much money that were American assets and her companies were so much a part of the American sort of fabric of the economy that they felt like they had to because they didn't want her wealth falling into the hands of people from other countries, particularly ones with which we had sort of tenuous relationships. Yeah, they felt like they needed to get involved in that. Sure. I wonder if Elon Musk had to have his prenup written up by... um... Ooh, what about Bill Gates? He's getting divorced. Was his prenup written by the State Department? Jeff Bezos got divorced and the divorce
1: settlement made his wife wow. like, the 20th richest person in America or something like that. Don't quote me on the stats.
0: How do I get in touch with her and become her personal massage therapist? I she needs one know. of those, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, any rich people out there, you just, uh, you hit me up. You, you contact me, okay? Everyone does. I can work on weekends. It's cool. I have a passport. <laughs> professional podcaster. So she bought this guy, Ruby, a bunch of stuff. So... <laughs> Get this. She bought him an entire stable of polo horses and And an old B fifty two bomber plane that she uh-huh. had remodeled to transport the horses. I didn't know there was a distinction, but okay she moving a, on. Yep. And then
1: she bought a f- plane so that they could fly the polo horse. I, I thought I was
0: spoiled when my ex bought me an Xbox. Every- you know what I'm saying? Like, wow. <laughs> cool.
1: Um <laughs> I mean, I think you were more spoiled when your ex bought you a little apartment dishwasher.
0: That was my Mother's Day gift. He bought me a, a little portable dishwasher and a bottle of champagne, which just—I swear to God—in the moment it reminded me of the um, old Jeff Foxworthy routine where he said, "You might be a redneck if you think <laughs> it, you might be a redneck if you think loading the dishwasher means getting your mom drunk or something like that." That's funny.
1: That's what Very it reminded me. Very spot on
0: your aesthetic right there Chris. <laughs> oh god no <laughs> no shame I'm no making shame the thing so her marriage to ruby didn't really last though um it was really contentious and scandalous and you know he was a playboy so he slept around a bit and they got divorced in 1948 she... I love it when people yeah sorry
1: no go ahead I love it when people who are the mistress pay a million dollars for the wife, then marry them and wonder. Mm. Mm. I wonder why. Yeah, my husband is cheating on me. Yeah, it's not like I wasn't the mistress who decided to make. Mi- like,
0: yeah, it's a questionable that never choice. Never works
1: out. Yeah, that if you never you're,
0: works out. If you're a mistress, be skeptical of your husband's. You know, and if you're, what do they call male mistresses? <laughs> M- mistros. <laughs> mistros. <Matches. laughs> like, okay. If you're mantris? a mantress. If, if you're a mantress. There, yeah. No, I like that. Man- yeah. If, uh, oh. if you're the side job activity. Side jobs. Yeah. So after they got divorced, she went back to Shangri La in Hawaii and she spent her time sort of hanging out in jazz bars, you know, goals. <laughs> I mean, what is life if not hanging out like- in a jazz bar in Hawaii? I'd be up on the stage. You would
1: be singing. I would be singing. Yep. You would be drinking. I would totally. be driving you home. This is true. This I is mean, how I this would sp- have to drive you home either way, but. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I just, sorry. It's true. <laughs> I just thought about that. I was like, oh, yes, because
0: she had some drinks. And then I'm like, oh, no, she's blind. Yeah, she's blind. She can't drive. She can't see shit. She ain't driving herself <laughs> home. Do not let her drive herself home, no matter how much she confidently states she can. She is
1: a very functional drunk.
0: Uh, A functional drunk. Get yourself home. I love it. A drunctional. (laughs) We're making up words. Hey, I like it. It's called a portmanteau when you smush two words together, and we're good at it. Sweet. So, back in the jazz bar in Hawaii. So, this is where she met her third and most contentious lover. Joe Castro, known as Joey. Everybody else has had these
1: like really complex multi letter Mm. Joe Joe Castro. Castro. Joey. Yep. I always wondered about that. Like people who have three letter names, like no syllables. (laughs) And then instead of shortening it, they make it longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I mean, I get
0: it. Sort of, but your name is already a nickname, like <laughs> my stepdad's name is Joe. yes, nobody's I allowed to call him it. anything but Joe.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess Joseph, God, the number of Joe's that you and I collectively know is a lot.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with a good Joe. We love a good Joe. oh, we love we love the Joes. I'm just saying there are a lot between us. This is true. I know anyway, a lot of jokes. Back Joes. to Joe Castro. So Joe Castro was a, a virtuosic pianist. Classy. You're, you're gonna love this. We made up for his name, his simple classic name. Oh by the pull up again. The name of his band was Three Bees and a Queen. Which has to be the <laughs> <laughs> has to be the best fucking jazz band name I've ever heard in my life. Three bees and a queen. I wanna be in that band. I'll buzz in the background, I'll play the you- um, the kazoo. I was going to say, who do you want to be, the bees or the queen? <laughs> I want to be one of the bees. I want to buzz in the background with a kazoo. I, can, I can't read music, but I can play some fucking kazoo. <laughs> you can't read music, sad. <laughs> can't see it. Oh, well. We need a disability jokes counter. <laughs> that would be good. I normally tell people they're only allowed to make three, three blind jokes a day. Uh, well, at, we've, at me. we've hit the three. That's right. So, you, so I hit one. No, you're good. You're good. This, this doesn't count. Podcasting doesn't count. Come on. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Yay! We're a, clearly, a true crime crime pod, true crime podcast about disabled, you know,
1: people. So true. It's okay. We, when we, we get into the ailments, I will have plenty much, to say. Plenty to
0: say. Good. I hope so. So, because he was a musician and she really wanted to help him out with a career. They moved to Los Angeles and bought an old Valentino mansion, like you do.
1: Like (laughs) literally everyone.
0: Oh, I want to do a music thing.
1: I don't live in LA, but I live adjacent, so I know the type.
0: Yeah, so they bought Valentino's old place, which was called, get this, it was called Falcon's Lair. Yeah. I can't with these names. I know, I know. So give me a second here, because this shit is probably the best thing I've ever heard, okay? Okay. (laughs) I say that a lot, but this is true. I mean, this case is insane, (laughs) so just lay it on me. Falcon's lair was a cliffside mansion, recording studios in it for Castro, filling it with art, and she had the roof covered in ostrich feathers? Like how? Get me a sugar mama. But get this. No, wait. Get this. (laughs) You ready? No. Napoleon's actual original war room. So please tell me that that is the peak of (laughs) of
1: the flamboyant lifestyle. No, no,
0: no, no, no. It's no, it's nowhere near that. Napoleon's war room? I don't even understand how that's possible, but apparently she had it disassembled and brought over and and put in place. What year was this? It was in the early 50s. Late, late On 40s. On what
1: planet?
0: I know. Do you think, hey, I'm going to buy
1: Valentino's house and then I'm going to ship <laughs> Napoleon's
0: you know, war room? But where else would you put Napoleon's war room? <laughs> oh, where it was. <laughs> Leave it where it was. <laughs> oh, no. It it but see, was. I like to like imagine her like turning Napoleon's war room into a powder room or maybe her girly literature library where she puts her feet up on a poof and <laughs> and drinks See, sherry my brain
1: went in an opposite <laughs> direction that you might not want to know about
0: oh, you, you, you thought of it was the sex dungeon <laughs> for sure well apparently napoleon and his wife were they were really into it so i wouldn't be surprised if they had done it in napoleon's war room <laughs> That just
1: adds a layer to this whole story that I was not anticipating. (laughs) The whole story I was not anticipating. Like, I knew a few things. (laughs) Like a light salt sprinkle. Not a heavy one. Not like two pinches or three. (laughs) No, this was like someone who was like, I need to put salt in this dish. (laughs) No, no, no. But I'm on a sodium restriction. (laughs) I'm going
0: to put like... (laughs) No, no, no. I'm no, bitch, like, this is a throw salt gonna... over your
1: shoulder in buckets. Well, no, 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 no. What, but what I'm saying is the, uh, the information that you gave me was I'm on a sodium restriction and I'm going to open the whole thing and pluck out three <laughs> salty bits to put in my thing that needs to be salted. Three salty bits. That's our next jazz band name. <laughs> oh, that's... <sighs> <laughs> okay, so... So, so not a sex dungeon. So to carry
0: on, no. Nope. <laughs> well, what happens? What happens you. when a super mega rich socialite and her musician boyfriend move to LA and want to open a recording studio? Someone gets murdered. <laughs> I love where you went with that. Are, See, my answer was partying.
1: You... <laughs> yeah. Oh sure, but someone could get murdered at the party.
0: Oh, believe me. No. Yeah. So so what happens when a? Remember, I live here. Yeah. Strange shit happens. All the so time. this was the early '50s. So this was at the height of when you know Hollywood became Hollywood, and also kind of when the Mafia was involved. So that is a that is a good guess. Yeah, no, they just partied a Thank lot, you. a lot. Did you know that Hollywood didn't used to be in Hollywood? Yes, I did. Well, I can't tell you anything. No, no. Gosh. You see, that's why I'm the researcher on these uh, these fun stories. Ooh, that was a burn. No, no, I'm kidding. Thanks. I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: I have a whole fuck ton of information
0: for you about all of these ailments. Can't wait. I'll have to put this head away and pull out my other head.
1: (laughs) Untuck it from
0: your (laughs) shirt. Pull it out. (laughs) Pull out the other head. That sounds really bad. (laughs) Why, Why have we gotten to this? I don't know. Partying.
1: What meds are you on? None. None whatsoever.
0: More importantly, what meds am I on? I Look, I know you have your meds organized by day. I have mine in a spice rack. So that ought to tell you something. Well, my psychiatrist told me that I should start taking my Zoloft
1: earlier in the day instead of at bedtime. Because mm. he said he was like, hey, just take it now. This was like three hours mm. ago. And then because I was feeling sleepy and knew I was going to have a lot going on, I took an addict. Good for you.
0: So that's what's happening. So back to Joe Castro and Doris Duke. Right. So they were quite a bit far and apart in ages. What was the age? Difference? I think it was like twelve years, maybe a oh. little more. He was a young man, and she was kind of the older woman. She was she was oh. the one with all the money, right? So, mm-hmm. and he was the musician, you know. Way to break gender barriers in 1950. Yeah, so she married a drummer. (laughs) Just
1: have a fuck ton of money.
0: No, she didn't marry him, and he wasn't a drummer. He was a pianist, but, you know, you get the point. She was the older woman who got with the musician. Despite their age difference, they partied pretty hard. And they were known for... Like rock stars? Yeah, they were known for their booze and drugs. They had a lot of drugs. What kind of drugs? Lots of drugs. Well, they had the good shit. They had cocaine when it first started happening. When it first started happening. Yeah, marijuana, that kind of stuff. They had tobacco, all that good stuff. I don't know what drugs they had back in the 50s. Different drugs, fun drugs.
1: That sounded like someone that neither of us align with.
0: So it was at one of these parties that Doris met a Hollywood set designer named Eduardo Torreya, and I just imagine him taking one look at the house and saying, Doris, girl, we got to talk. What's with all these fucking ostrich feathers on the roof napoleon's war room what how did they get there i don't know no so when i was reading about him i got mad duarto felice vibes from the first wife club the maggie smith's decorator wow. the eyes are the yeah. windows of the room and the balances the, <laughs> the balances are the eyelashes yeah no. You
1: do that so well. I could not have pulled
0: that I, off. I got those vibes when I was reading about him. He seems like a really cool guy. He's right. a great guy. So Eddie was actually just, he had the most amazing background. He grew up in New Jersey where he was like a famous childhood performer. So he did a little stage oh. productions, sing and dance kind of thing. And then oh he actually joined the war. Like he signed up to sure. be a part of the war. And I think he was at the Battle of the Bulge. Interesting. Which, you know. If you're a gay man, that's the best battle to be at. So after he got back from the war, he actually came out openly as a gay man. I know in the late 40s, early 50s. That's that's some groundbreaking shit to begin his career in design. And he lived with his openly gay partner who was a famous sculptor. So they had the life back in the early 50s. That
1: blows my mind. What a hopeful story. Yeah,
0: it's a really cool thing. He was a really neat dude. Uh, and it's a stereotype, but stereotypes begin somewhere. Uh, and I really feel like just yes. wanted a gay best friend. Like, you know what I'm saying? Her okay. name's Doris. Come on. Her name's Doris? Yes. She had a gay. Yes. That was her thing. It was her participating in that culture. Everybody needs a gay. I am my gay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, same. Same.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think you're my gay. Yeah. Are
0: we each other's gay? And I'm,
1: and I'm your gay. That works. Let's do that. I think I think that's how it, that, that how works. It works.
0: So this is when her relationship with Castro starts to really go downhill fast. So she's got her new best friend and remember she trusts no one so Her relationships are usually pretty contentious, but they were both known to really abuse alcohol and drugs, and their fights were kind of legendary.
1: Ooh, like page six. Oh,
0: yeah. On New Year's Eve 1963, a fight devolved into something way more. Doris attacked him with a knife, but hold your judgment because it's a bit up in the air as to who I believe. Doris came back and reconciled when she offered to finally start up his recording studio.
1: (laughs) Was it not started up? they
0: had built the studio but they hadn't actually started the company which she just she did at that time and it, she called it oh. clover records in 66 we're talking not even three years doris refused to put any more money into the uh, recording effort and castro went on a huge bender he destroyed the entire house he just kicked down napoleon's war room door and just fucking threw shit around you know how you do sure yeah he broke doris's jaw yeah, and then when her friends came to help her, he peed out a window at them.
1: I have had people do some really toxic stuff to me in my life, but uh, no one has peed on my friends who were trying to help me.
0: he had started out a nice guy, clearly the two of them were not supposed to be together, and the, the influence of both on the other was just really toxic. Of course, this was the last straw, and she finally left Castro, and she completely left L.A. She just did not want to be in L.A. Did she sell the house, or is it just like sitting there? To the no, she stage? kept it. Um, yeah, uh-huh. she kept it. got tired of L.A., so she went to her family's estate where actually she'd spent a lot of time as a kid. In It was called Rough Point, and it's in Rhode Island. She was basically shipping her best friend Eddie, Back and forth to visit with her because he was bi-coastal. He lived in New Jersey, but he also lived in L.A. at that time. He was dividing his time. And so she would fly him out and he would come spend time with her. He would decorate her houses, that kind of stuff. He became basically like her foundational friendships. She fell back on that advice that her dad gave her, trusting no one. She retreated back to Rough Point. But the problem was Eddie didn't want to be back east anymore. He didn't want to split his time between the two coasts, and his career was actually finally taking off in L.A. He'd even gotten some acting roles and had an upcoming part with Sharon Tate, of all people. Can we find this part? Well, he didn't get to do it, and I'll tell you about that in a sec. Spoilers. We know Sharon Tate, of course. She was a famous actress, and she was murdered by the Manson family, so curses all around. (laughs) Right. So Eddie made plans to permanently relocate to L.A., but he was worried how Doris would take it because she wanted him to come over for a visit and help her with a few things. And he agreed, but he didn't really tell her about his plans to use that trip as an opportunity to clean out his house and move permanently to LA. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was kind of worried how she would take it. And I don't blame him. She sounds kind of volatile. And he knew her at a time when she was at her most volatile, when she was really drinking a lot and Doing the drugs, and so he was hesitant. He was so hesitant, in fact, he asked a lot of people what he should do. His partner told him it was a bad idea and begged him not to go because he was worried the Doris would kind of go a little bit uh, angry. Yeah, Eddie was so concerned that he actually went to a professional psychic. Get this, his name was Doctor Jacques Honduras. Again with the names, we got one normal name, no. and the rest they're all they're all names. Rebel, they're uh. names. They're what? all names. <laughs> so Dr. Honduras said, guess what? Don't go. She attacked her ex with a knife. Let's not do this. But uh, he didn't listen. On October 7th, 1966, he rented a very large station wagon so that he could clean out all of his stuff in his apartment. He planned to tell Doris that day that he was permanently relocating to L.A. Later on, a neighbor who was also kind of a friend of Doris's said that Doris wanted her gay, I mean her antiques advisor, uh-huh. Uh She wanted his help to inspect and value an antique bust said to contain a bone of the Catholic martyr St. Ursula. Yeah. I swear every sentence I say about this woman just gets weirder and weirder and I'm not sure if I like it or hate it. If this wasn't true, I
1: would be like, hey, you should write a book about this. This is real.
0: So she's out. She wants to buy this bust with this bone inside it. <laughs> she sh- she want to...
1: Why is this like this? Well, this is
0: actually really important. It, so, sure, here's the problem. At 5 p.m. that day, the two-ton station wagon crashes out of the gates of Rough Point, dragging a bloody mangled corpse beneath it. The car was being driven by Doris, it and the body dead. was, of course, Eddie. Eddie.
1: Everyone told him not to go back. Mm. What did what was he thinking
0: it seems like it may have been one of those relationships where like they were friends but also maybe she had some stuff over him you know maybe she was maybe he was relying on her financially i don't know the the facts of that but it's it seemed i mean doris has a problem with relationships and you'll see more of that later yeah
1: and if i'm not mistaken like she got on with him very well And to a degree past her normal level of comfort.
0: Yeah. And I think that him telling her that he was going to leave probably really just, it struck a nerve with her. And I mean, that's exactly what everyone said would happen, that she lost it for a moment. She lost her temper, but we'll get into that. Okay. So some passersby who were going right by the house at that time, one of whom was a nurse, said that when the car came through the gates... They stopped their car. She tried to render medical aid, to, but he was dead. And Doris was completely hysterical. She was screaming, "I ran over my friend!" And then she turned and she ran back into the house. What? Yeah. Later on, Doris would say that she ran back in the house to find me, thinking that maybe she'd missed him, and I guess that he'd gone inside. So,
1: but he was dead under the right. And she
0: told she told them that she had hit her friend. But later on, when she was explaining it to the police, she never said anything about knowing whether or not she'd hit him. So she basically changed her story. Interesting. So after the incident, Eddie was taken to the morgue and Doris was taken to a nearby hospital where, get this, she got a private room and a doctor for just a few hours, a doctor who turned away the police investigators. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. She paid them off. So they didn't take her statement about this incident until the following Sunday. When they arrived, she had a wall of lawyers for them to shout through. And the lawyers told the police they were only allowed to ask her four questions.
1: What? Yeah. How generous. Four, four questions. questions.
0: Man, if I could. There's that's no... going to be my go-to from now on. You're only allowed to ask me four questions. You get four yeah, questions. That's it. Totally. Dora stated that they were going to go to dinner and that to mm-hmm. get out through the gates... One person had to unlock the gate and then relock it after the car had gone through because apparently it was locked with a special padlock. So she said that they did it as they had always done, right? She slid over into the driver's seat and then Eddie went to the gate to unlock it. And she was going to pull through the gate and then he was going to lock the gate and then jump back in the car. But... When she attempted to pull through the gate, she wasn't really sure how to operate this car. And so she accidentally slammed into him at full speed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So she slammed on the Mm -hmm. gas pedal, apparently, because, you know, different models of car. I guess the gas pedal and the brake. It's confusing. Rebel, it's confusing. I've never driven a car.
1: But the brake,
0: the brake is on one Mm -hmm. side
1: and gas pedal is on the other side. Like there. It's the same in every I've
0: never driven a car and I know this. So I don't right, buy it. Exactly. So I don't buy it.
1: Basically, she used her money and influence to dodge a murder. Oh, it,
0: it gets Sorry. worse. When right. Eddie was yeah. autopsied, the autopsy found that he had died instantly of massive trauma to his neck, spine and torso. So the upper body only, including oh. crushing injuries. There was blood spatter and skin scraped off of him and plastered to the road. Oh, my God. Yeah. But here's the thing. His autopsy was misfiled under the wrong name, if you can believe that shit. What? Yeah, they misfiled his autopsy. So one week after the incident, Doris began lavishing money on the town, paying to have new facilities put in, have the cliffs, there there was like a cliffside walk for tourists, and she paid to have that refurbished, and so on, such that to this day, she's still a hero to the city. What? Yeah, so the cops came back to her house- So she gave her initial statement, right? Cops came back, supposedly, and took a second statement from her that was way more detailed and satisfactory to them. But the truth of the case, it wasn't really investigated or disclosed until this last year in 2020 when an investigative journalist named Peter Lance, who was raised there in that town, finally came home and decided to look into the incident. He discovered a massive conspiracy To protect Doris. The daughter of the police chief's secretary at the time says that her mother was absolutely convinced that her boss had taken bribe money. And according to the records of the car rental insurance company, the nurse's statement that Doris knew she had hit her friend directly conflicted with the second police statement. So he was confused and he started digging around in the files and he discovered what he believes is collusion between the chief of police and Doris's lawyer whose name was Aram Arabians, another awesome name. I mean, I can get behind them. It's all these other... I feel like Aram Arabians needs to go live at Falcon's Lair. Like, I feel like that's... He sounds like a, I mean, like a super villain's name.
1: I, my mind was getting there. <laughs> that's a name that I can remember.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially if he's your lawyer. You definitely want to be behind him and his wall of, 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 of lawyers... My assumption is that she had four lawyers,
1: one question per lawyer. <laughs> That's, that makes sense. Wouldn't that be
0: how that worked? She had enough money to fill a
1: room full of lawyers. Oh, yeah.
0: She had a lot of lawyers. She had lawyers for every different thing. Get a Jade walking ticket, you got a lawyer for that. Run over your best friend, there's a lawyer for that. A whole room of them. It's like apps <laughs> There's okay. an app for that. There's a lawyer for that. So, Aram Arabians and the chief of police basically worked together to manufacture a better and more complete statement, and they never even met with her the second time. They simply wrote up a three-page document, three pages, and then took it to her to be signed. And you know how you can tell it's a fake? No. (laughs) They can tell it's a fake because they got her birthday wrong. And Doris had to actually correct it and then sign off on it when she signed the supposed statement that she had just given aloud to them. Lance finally finds a photo of the accident. It was one of the only photos that was taken at the time. Uh, And he finds it by rifling through the records of the estate of the photographer who was on scene because he actually became a famous photographer. And his family basically saved every single thing he ever did. And so he was going through those photos and he found a picture of the accident and it's just a single image and it shows the gate, but the gates only bent outward at the bottom portion. Now remember how all of Eddie's injuries were on his upper body? So it completely contradicted the autopsy. His legs were completely fine. Right. Peter Lance tracks down the first officer who was on scene and he's actually in that photo. And Lance discovers that he and his instructor, who was at the scene also, Both believed that the accident didn't happen as it was reported. They thought that because the blood pooling began outside of the gate and the flesh that was stuck to the road was far from the gate, they decided that the evidence suggested that Eddie had been hit and had rolled up onto the hood of the car, flown off onto the road, and then was intentionally run over. Yeah, that's the scenario that I envisioned. So she floored it through the gate, hit him, he flew up on the bonnet of the car, he flew off, and that's when she stepped on the gas and ran him over and crushed him.
1: What ho, good time. Yeah,
0: so she completely got away with it. Yeah. The police chief retired to Florida and was replaced by the lead investigator on her case, even though he didn't have seniority. So that was his payday, I guess, allegedly. Question mark. <laughs> So she kept quietly pumping money into the community, and then she moved to one of her other estates. Right. But considering that she used to sick her dogs on the tourists, I'm not super stunned by her activities at the time. She had some pretty vicious German shepherds and was renowned for sicking them on the...
1: uh... Now we have dogs involved. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I guess here we are living
1: the dream. Mm -hmm.
0: Doris's life at this point just goes even bigger. And by this, this lady had money. She had not only inherited the $80 million when most kids are finding out what sex is, what were you doing at 12?
1: At 12,
0: let's see, I was being awkward. I was
1: living in Missouri. <laughs> I was like Doris in whatever grade I was in, and I
0: was very tall. I wore a leg brace. Mm. I was 12. I was in the early stages of my illness and was uh, role playing a lot in an internet chat room and fantasizing about all the original characters I was writing. So that was my life at twelve. I was certainly not I mean, in possession of eighty million dollars. <laughs> I
1: don't think you can be awkward when you're in possession of eighty million dollars as a twelve. year
0: No, you pay people to make you less awkward. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. You needed eighty million dollars to make leg braces cool. They're already cool, but yeah, you get what I'm saying.
1: Well, see, kids nowadays they get like different patterns on their. Oh leg man. I just got like flesh color. No, no,
0: you needed like flames. We needed a 12-year-old rebel needed not only flames. You needed, like, galaxy print. You know what I'm saying? That's big these days, like right. the, the stars and all that.
1: When I was 14, I had a foot surgery, and I was given medication to make me drowsy. Mm. And then the doctor was like, what color cast do you want? Because I was going to be uh, casting mm. before and I said, I don't know. And th- that's the last thing that I remember. Oh, dear. Well, when I woke up. No, please tell me they didn't give you puke green. It's kind of worse. When I woke up, all I could see is a white blanket and a little triangle. And in the triangle, it was hot.
0: Pink. Oh, hot pink leg brace.
1: <laughs> no, this was a full cast. Oh. And I had the surgery right before school started. So I would be on crutches oh. with a hot pink cast. Oh. That year, I was in school for about three months, and then I had to go to homeschool. Mm-hmm. In my junior year, I came back to normal school. Mm-hmm. And everybody knew me because I had had a pink You were the
0: hot, hot cast. pink cast kid even teachers uh, yes. i had a similar thing i i left school around that time to be homeschooled because of my vision and uh, came back right. as blind so i was the normal kid oh. who came back with a cane <laughs> but i i got back at him i i would take my steroid eye drops in class so i would surprise them by crying milky white tears <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: that's a good it's spooky one. i tell you
0: i mean i didn't have 80 million dollars yeah no Neither did I. Doris not only defended her dad's fortune, but she also grew it during her life by three to four times. What? Yeah, she was a pretty savvy businesswoman. We're
1: over here investing in Dogecoin because
0: we're poor. No, she had so much money. I mean, honestly, though, if you have that much money, you're going to make money just standing still. But she actually did... She put it into things. She put it into buying art and property. And she actually grew her dad's fortune to the point where when she died, she was worth $1.3 billion. Did she have any kids? No, she just had that one daughter. We'll get into it. It's complicated. So now I get to say some really cool stuff that I've always wanted to say. So her New Jersey estate housed an entire Thai village. She just She had it picked up like Napoleon's war room and transplanted into New Jersey. She had her own 737. So there was a case recently featured on Dateline. And it was this guy
1: who sent a castle from... Yeah, yeah,
0: that was the fake Rockefeller guy, Chichester.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. And he said he was bringing it over brick by brick. It's
0: funny when he said that in that dateline, when they said that about him, my mm-hmm. thought was, wow, that's really expensive. Why would you send it over brick by brick? Wouldn't you like <laughs> group the bricks together? Right. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't going to do it
1: because he didn't have access to purchase. No, castle, but like
0: right? it would have been hilarious, though, if he'd actually gone and gotten a bunch of old timey bricks and had them sent to all his friends. <laughs> like everybody gets a box with a brick what in it. Are
1: these?
0: And he's like, I told you I'd send it brick by brick. You're all getting a brick. Everybody gets a brick. I'm not creepy,
1: but could you weather these, make them look like they're bricks from a castle? Also, are castles made of bricks? I mean, We're off- some
0: estates are made with bricks, but no, brick didn't come into fashion until the Tudor period. Prior to that, it was um, it was all, uh, you know, big stone chunks. Like stones. So you wouldn't be sending
1: something brick by brick? Nope stone by stone mm-hmm. that's
0: just the logistics of that
1: are just insane just go live in the castle for real
0: you know there was that guy okay. who bought london bridge and shipped it over so i'm not surprised he said something like that okay. so wait doris actually posted yes. 5.3 million dollars for the bail of Amelda fucking marcos and then paid an additional five million dollars for her legal defense and yes she did get off so um, bitch knew imelda marcos a,
1: do I not know about this woman? I know,
0: right? She flew under everyone's radar. And B, how is she just hitting every historical point? I don't know. This woman had a weird life. She hung out with all kinds of crazy people, including shaman and swamis, and she just basically wandered around doing crazy shit all the time whenever she felt like it.
1: Like Richard Gere and the Buddha?
0: Yeah. So she did all that stuff, right? She hit all those historical points and she sang in a black spiritual choir.
1: Come on now, that's...
0: Yeah, she was in it. She was right there. In this... She was crazy, man. She was cool. I liked her. I liked her all about... I like. But did they know that she was white? <laughs> she... <laughs> Does she know? I, I don't know.
1: She... She just say hi i'm a very light-skinned black woman and i would like to sing in your no
0: she just had money she donated to them and that's weird no that's she was well i thought she was was really into jazz music and music of all kinds so she was a huge patron of the arch she gave money to all kinds of artistic foundations and bought art from different artists she's known for her art collection these days
1: but like the fact that her whole life she just Bought her way into an out of situation.
0: There's no genuine connection. I don't think she knew how to make friends. And she was a very lonely person. And you get to see that kind of as her life goes on, as she declines. Um, right. It becomes a big point in the case, actually. So in the 70s, she reads a book about longevity and staying young and being healthy and stuff and she contacted the medical editor of the book who's a man who would be in her life basically till the end uh named dr harry demopolis i'm gonna call him dr d because demopolis is really hard for me to say dr harry demopolis and she formed a friendship and she hired him on as her personal doctor and this is the beginning of her end
1: Thanks for listening to our first episode. It was a wild one.
0: We took a journey. It was a wild one. We decided we would we take you on a roller coaster. If you have your own thoughts on today's episode, you can contact us via email at theinvisiblespod at gmail.com or on Twitter at invisiblespod1 or on Instagram at theinvisiblespod or you can reach out to us on Facebook at theinvisiblespod.